Hi, I'm Zibby Owens, and you're listening to the award-winning podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Please sign up for my newsletter at zibbyowens.com for weekly updates about my podcasts, events, and more. Also, follow me on Instagram at zibbyowens and also at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. And finally, join my virtual book club called Zibby's Virtual Book Club, which meets every other Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time until 3 p.m. and features half an hour of book club discussion, followed by 30 minutes of Q&A with the author whose book we've just discussed. You can sign up on my website, zibbyowens.com, under the virtual book club section, or even on Instagram under the link in my bio. I hope you'll find me in all these different channels and enjoy this podcast. Hi, everybody. So today, the sponsor for my podcast is my other podcast. I am launching Moms Don't Have Time to Lose Weight. It launched Monday, October 12th. And hopefully it'll stick around for a long time. It features uh, women talking to other women about their journeys of their bodies and getting tips and commiseration and all the things we need so that we don't feel alone in trying to make our bodies feel better tomorrow than they do today. So check out Moms Don't Have Time to Lose Weight. And it's also a community now on Instagram at Moms Don't Have Time to Lose Weight. So if you fall into that category like I do and so many of us, um, come join us. The door is open. I had the best time talking to Terry Cheney, who is the author of Modern Madness, an Owner's Manual. She's also the author of the New York Times bestseller, Manic. Terry's writings and commentary about bipolar disorder have been featured in the New York Times, the Los Angeles Times, the Huffington Post, NPR, Psychology Today, and countless articles and popular blogs. I mean, I don't know. Somebody might be able to count them. She is a member of the board of directors of the Sachs Institute for Mental Health Law, Policy, and Ethics at USC, the honorary board of directors of the International Bipolar Foundation, and the board of directors of Project Return Peer Support Network. She also served on the Community Advisory Board of the UCLA Mood Disorders Research Program. She founded and facilitates a weekly mental health support group at UCLA's Neuropsychiatric Institute. She currently lives in Los Angeles. And also, her struggle with bipolar disorder was portrayed by Anne Hathaway in Amazon Prime's Modern Love series. Welcome, Terry. Thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books to talk about Modern Madness, which was so, so good. So thank you. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Zuri, for having me. I have to say, I had seen the Modern Love episode on which this book was based or on which the article, well, I'm not even saying this right. You wrote a Modern Love article, it became a TV show, and you've written a book. So I started by seeing the TV episode, <laughs> which was great with, with Anne Hathaway. Hathaway playing me. That was incredible. Yeah, what was that like for you? Every woman's dream to have, I looked so good. <laughs> I never knew. <laughs> oh my gosh. So how involved were you with that piece of this? You know, they were great. The producers realized, I, I contacted them when I found out the article was going to be turned into an episode. And I said, this is about mental health and mental illness, and it really needs to be accurate. So they actually let me in on the process. I got to talk with Anne and with the director, John Carney. So I think they did a really good job as far as portraying manic depression, bipolar disorder is concerned. It was a really gripping episode from the highs to the lows. And you could just see how embarrassed almost that she was and having to cancel things. And anyway, so that was the TV. So that was great. Yes, that was wonderful. <laughs> On to the book. And just in terms of timing, did you write the Modern Love piece and then you wrote the book or what happened? I wrote the Modern Love piece back in 2008. And then a month later, my first book, Manic, came out and became a New York Times bestseller. I think largely writing on that 
that modern love piece because that reaches so many people. Okay. And then you came out and now you're coming out with this, having nothing to do almost with that. This is so much later. Right. This is my third book. I'm sorry. I feel like woefully unprepared having not, (laughs) (laughs) but having read this book at least. So that's good. (laughs) So it starts with you talking about Michael Jackson's feet which is not the way most books begin. So the reader is immediately gripped and wondering what is going on here. So talk to me about your high profile sort of lawyerly life and then having to deal with mental illness at the same time, bipolar, how you were able to fuse the two and now kind of where you are. Okay. Well, I started as an entertainment lawyer. I live in Beverly Hills and I represented people like Michael Jackson, Quincy Jones, and the major motion picture studios. So that was for about 16 years. But that entire time I was hiding a very severe case of bipolar disorder. And I didn't tell anyone except my doctors. I didn't tell my friends, my coworkers, nobody, because I was just terrified that somebody would find out and I'd be fired, first of all, and then ostracized and I'd never find work or love again. So somehow I did manage to keep it secret. And I think it's because Hollywood is inherently bipolar when you think of it. I mean, it's it's a crazy business and it's very cyclical. Things are always happening You want them, you know, faster, better, more now. So my manic episodes certainly fit in with that. And when I was depressed, I would make up excuses or lies, frankly. I had all sorts of physical ailments that I pretended to have. And fortunately, with bipolar disorder, you can make up a lot of the work that you miss because you go into this really productive mode where you can just churn stuff out and you're very charismatic and engaging and just at the top of your game. So that lasted until I finally had a depression. I could not hide anymore. And I was hospitalized for that episode. And I started writing then about my illness. First, I just wrote about the clinical stuff that I was learning. But then I thought that's anybody can write about that. I want to write about what's really going on inside me, inside my body and make it visceral so that other people understand what it's like. And I found I started to get better with the writing and I just kept writing and writing. And seven years later, emerged with the book called Manic. And to my amazement, you know, a month later, it's a bestseller. So I've kept on writing ever since then. Yeah. Why stop? I mean, <laughs> why stop? Yeah. yeah I love it. And it's, I miss the money from practicing law, but I, I don't miss the lifestyle and I don't miss hiding out. That was the hardest part of my life. I think the corrosive power of secrets is yes. one of the worst things. Yes. No matter what it is you're hiding, the having to shoulder that burden, I think we're well, away people <laughs> quite a bit. I, what I've learned is hiding a secret is often worse than the secret itself. I feel like a lot of books are an attempt to air those secrets and sort of yes. get them off of people's shoulders. So that's just one way. It's like repentance of some sort. <laughs> it is, and it really does help. It's so cathartic to write about even the dark times, people often ask me, how do you go back to those like suicide attempts and write about such horrible memories? And for me, writing about it lets me own it. That's another subtitle to my book is the An Owner's Manual. Yes, I think we all need to 
Thank you. I think we all need to own our illnesses and learn about them, understand them, and acknowledge them in order to get better. So, and you mentioned in the book later that you developed like hypothyroidism. Yeah. And that in that instance, it was diagnosed and you got a pill and you went about your business. And like, how easy was that versus mental illness, which comes with stigma and shame and varying medications and so much else, so much baggage versus a simple physiological issue. You know, I actually went around and told people, I have hypothyroidism. I was like proud of having something I could talk about as opposed to bipolar disorder. I get it. And and people were sympathetic. I always kind of am hoping, I mean, I shouldn't say this, (laughs) but I'm like always hoping that there's something wrong with my thyroid to explain. I know. know, Like take one of those thyroid medicines and I'll be fine. (laughs) Yes. No, but I'm kidding. But it's true. The contrast of like why we don't medicate in such a black and white way for something that is just as pronounced and specific and and in medication as all these other things is like, I don't know. Ridiculous. I'm so glad you bring that up because I think if you look at mental illness, the brain is an organ. It's not in your mind. The mental illness is not really in your mind. It's in your brain. And the brain is just a three and a half pound organ. Robin Williams said that. It is like any other organ in the body, like your liver. You wouldn't tell somebody with liver disease to, you know, make lemons out of lemonade or lemonade out of lemons, rather. You wouldn't tell Stephen Hawking to just snap out of it and get up out of his chair. You know, it's really a physical illness and it needs to be regarded that way. And then you have like the double isolation of A, feeling it, and then B, being made to not sort of feel validated in it. Right, it is a double whammy, yes. And you write about that so beautifully. You just read, even just in the very beginning when you were describing mania. And then later when you described depression, you were saying it like this. I thought faster. I wrote better. I could argue the devil out of his soul when I was manic. I was glorious, bionic at the top of my game. And I knew it and used it against anyone who came too close. Sex was mine for the asking, money and influence too. And I owed it all to mania, including my proximity to Michael Jackson and his like. But no matter how lofty and impervious I appeared, depression could swoop in and lay me low without a word, without warning, the devil demanding a rematch. Then it was back to hiding all over again. Wow. Yes. So awesome. Thank you. I mean, not Thank awesome that it happened. Reading. Awesome that you wrote about it that way. And then later, oh, well, these are so funny when you have all these things, the 10 sacred rules you have to abide by when you're bipolar. Like, do not. My manic cheat sheet. Yes. Change into something sexier, wear granny panties and flats. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Party do's and don'ts. It's so funny to have like such a great sense of humor about all this. Well, I'm so glad you say that. I think of all the compliments I ever get about my writing, I love when people apologize for saying, I'm really sorry, but I laughed throughout your book. That makes me feel so good because I know I touched them the way I wanted to. Because it really is so much of mental illness can become extreme and in extreme in extremity there's absurdity. So you have to sometimes stand back and just say, this is ridiculous what I'm going through. And it can be funny in a very dark way. But yeah, nonetheless. In a very dark way. It's sort of it's yeah. like, you know, it's it's similar in a way to grief, right? There are things that it knocks you off your feet and yet there are moments where you can't help but find the absurdity and humor and you just have to laugh. And you feel a little guilty about that. And I don't know quite why one would feel guilty about relieving yourself of the doom for a few seconds, but 
sometimes I do. We can find ways to feel guilty about everything. (laughs) (laughs) And if you can't, just call me. I'll find another way to feel guilty about it. (laughs) You talked about depression, saying that you always knew you were depressed when you couldn't manage to get into the shower, right? Uh, And then your shower is my nemesis. I just have the worst time. Well, I suffer from something called psychomotor retardation when I'm depressed. That means my my body and my will are paralyzed. And I like, I'm looking at a pen right now on my desk that's about a foot away. If I wanted to pick up that pen, I would have to stare at it like for 15 or 20 minutes just to get to my arm to move over to the pen and pick it up. I mean, it's just, I, I've noticed in COVID-19, a lot of people are, claim, are complaining about lack of productivity. And that's what it feels like. You just cannot do what you need to do. And showering for me is the number one worst thing I have to do. I I hate it. I hate getting wet. I hate everything. I like being clean, but I hate everything else about it. No, it's so funny. My mother-in-law had these two dogs who are now staying with us. And like one of them hates to get wet. And you're just like, okay, the dog doesn't need to get wet. Like you just won't shower them. But if you're a human being, you can't be like, yeah, just I don't like getting wet. It's, you know, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> doesn't, doesn't fly so easily. And I really do like being clean. That's what's so ironic about it. But Well, they have dry shampoo. Now there must be other ways. Oh, I believe me. <laughs> I have dock in it. <laughs> I know. And you wrote in the book too, sadly, as you referenced earlier about times where you really wanted to to die and how depression is just like fighting death. It's like the death march in a way and how you were in the snow and then your body actually is the one that like made you snap out of it. I think, tell me about that, that, that moment a little bit. Well, I was in New Mexico in Santa Fe and my father had died. And after that, I had attempted a very, very serious suicide attempt, which I just shockingly survived. I wrote about it in the first story of Manic. And I'm walking out after I got out of the hospital in the snow at night and I come to this park and I just realize I can't go any further. I I don't want to go on. So I thought maybe I'll just freeze to death in the snow. That's got to be an easy way to go. It probably doesn't hurt very much because you're frozen. So I lay down in the snow and Sure enough, it started to really hurt. And unconsciously or subconsciously, I just started clapping my arms up and down and my legs to get the circulation going. And I stood up and I looked around and I realized I'd made angel's wings in the snow. And that was such a beautiful moment. I thought, you know, there is a reason I survived that suicide attempt. And it's got to be that I'm supposed to give witness to the pain of what other people are suffering with this disease. It's hard to remember that now, but it was a moment. It was an epiphany. Well, I'm sorry that you have sort of anointed yourself the the storyteller for this, but you really write about it just really poignantly and beautifully. Thank you. I mean, if it had to be anyone, (laughs) I think life picked a good good storyteller. Right. I think there are reasons we're given, the gifts we're given, and that had to be mine. When you're doing the actual writing, do you st- like, do you, well, first of all, do you still go through the highs and lows in the same way? Or have you found some like medications that have stabilized things completely or more? Or, and then what happens when you're writing? Can you still write through one of the hypo paralyzed states or tell me about that? Well, I'm, I'm pretty stable now relatively compared to what I used to be. I don't have the extreme highs that I used to 
or fingers crossed here, the extreme lows. But I do sometimes get depressed and mostly in response to external triggers like relationship problems. Who doesn't get depressed? But it can trigger a chemical depression. But my medication is working. I'm really lucky. I work closely with a psychopharmacologist who manages the medications especially. As for writing, I can't write when I'm depressed because that involves the moving the pen thing and I can't move. So I try to write when I'm manic, but I write in this really tiny, tiny, tiny illegible script that you can't hardly see or else my fingers fly so fast over the keyboard. It's just rubbish. So there's a sweet spot. And fortunately, I've been in the sweet spot for a while where I can write and make sense and have some perspective about my illness. Wow. And so what are you, like, what do you do to get through the pandemic? What do you do now? Like, are you working on another book or like, how do you make sure you don't slip? Like, do you carry that fear with you all the time? I feel like I would be very nervous. That's a really good question. I'm always afraid of depression. You said earlier, it's like battling death. And I don't think I ever thought of it in those terms before. I may just have to steal that from you. (laughs) That's really powerful. It is like that. So yes, I'm afraid, but for some weird reason, and I'm not the only person with a mental illness who feels this way. I've had a lot of readers write in and tell me that I I feel like I've been in training for COVID because I'm used to isolating. I'm used to binge watching Netflix. I'm used to (laughs) eating everything in my refrigerator and not talking to people on the phone. So I... You know, I have my coping skills that I developed during depressions and I'm using them to good stead now. So I think I'm doing pretty well. well that surprised good. me. <laughs> See, silver, silver linings here. <laughs> Definitely a silver lining. How do you think you learned? Did, you, did the writing and the style and all of it just come naturally to you or did you get any sort of training or writing classes or anything like that? I wanted to be a writer since I was a little girl and my father read to me every night before I think I could even speak. I've always wanted to write. I've always written. I went to Vassar College and was an English major, had a creative thesis there. And somehow I just got derailed with the entertainment litigation. (laughs) That was the wrong direction for my life to go in. But even while I was practicing law, I was taking classes and I belong to a wonderful writing group that I've been in for about 15 or 20 years now. So writing has always been a huge part of my life. It's how I stay sane. You're the the accidental litigator. (laughs) Yes, that may be the title of my next book. Oh, great. Just just take the transcript of this and you can do whatever you want. Be my guest. (laughs) That's funny. What about reading? Like, do you like to, do you love to read? Were you always a, a reader from a young age too? Or Oh, I'm, I'm a book hound. I'm looking at your living room or wherever you're sitting right now and absolutely devouring the books behind you. <laughs> you such a wonderful library there. Yeah, this is my whole... Oh my God. Around. Yeah, I know. That's my dream. <laughs> that is my dream. I have books everywhere in my house, but you can't see them from my Zoom feed. So I do read, yes. <laughs> I believe you. <laughs> yes. They're all under my bed too, gathering moss. Do you gravitate toward memoir or do you have a a genre you like or do you mix I tend to read 19th century and before. I'm very much the Jane Austen girl, but I love Fitzgerald too. And I just, I love people who love words. I, I love an author, Nabokov, anyone who can 
just make me look at a phrase and say, oh, that's what language is supposed to do. That gives me a thrill. I think that's that's almost as good as sex. It's great. <laughs> Sentences versus sex. Who will win? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> do you have any advice for, well, for twofold. One, for aspiring authors, but also for anybody out there who might have a mental illness and maybe hasn't been as forthcoming as you have and still more in the hiding phase? Well, I think that, first of all, I think everybody who has a mental illness should at least be keeping some kind of journal, some kind of mood journal where you track your your episodes because that's the only way you can really get a handle on something as tricky as bipolar disorder is to see the pattern of it as it plays out. I can only go by my own experience, which has been before Manic was published, the night before, literally, I wanted to call my editor and just call the whole thing off. I thought, what am I doing? This is crazy. Nobody's going to understand my what I'm writing about. And the response to coming out of the closet, which was a very deep closet for me and, and lasted for many, many years, has been incredible. I mean, the support, the compassion that people have shown me I never would have guessed in a million years that people could be so understanding. And I'm always hearing about my courage. I just felt backed up against a wall. You know, I couldn't, it was either stop hiding or die. So those were my choices. And I don't know how much courage was involved in that. Well, maybe you're selling yourself a little short. (laughs) (laughs) I think maybe courage isn't the right word, but it still takes such a strong sense of self to be able to articulate it all and share it. Well, I think that's where writing comes in too. It really does. The writing group that I referenced is we write our personal stories and we learn to find our own voice. And that's been really influential for me to just keep digging and digging and digging. And I I am surrounded by journals. You can't see them right now, but I still journal every day. Wow. I have all mine hidden like under here from when I was a kid. My mom like cleaned out my room years ago and was like, take everything. So now don't kinda... ever get rid of them. They're so, they, they come in so handy when you decide to write your memoirs, believe me. I mean, they're all like, I think pre, you know, 22 or something. But yeah, now I'm debating if I should share them with my kids. But oh, I, better, yes. I better read them. <laughs> read, them read them first. Read them first. Don't them. Make sure. <laughs> Some stuff I'm not so sure I'd want them to read, but I think for people like you and me and like so many other people who do write to sort things out, not having that, I don't know how anybody else kind of does it. I know. How do they have a conversation even? I would have the words floating around in my head, like, you know, just like a jigsaw puzzle if I didn't write. I don't know how people function. Yeah. I used to, even for my podcast, I used to like write out every question first. Oh, <laughs> now I, I don't do that because it's more a conversation, but I wanted to like have it all clear. Everything had to just be clear and out of the chaos. <laughs> when I was a litigator, I wrote every single thing I was going to say to the court down, including and and the, I was very, very much that way. Yeah, get it. Well, thank you. Thanks for chatting with me today. And going out, mom's no time to read books. It was so fun. I have to go back now and read Manic. So that will be oh, my next Amazon it. purchase, or I shouldn't say Amazon, whatever, independent bookstore purchase that's open. There you go. <laughs> so anyway, so thank you. I really enjoyed chatting with you. And, and again, your book was absolutely beautiful and so important. I'm so glad you liked it. Yeah. Thank you. It was really great chatting with you. Me too. Great. Have a great day. Okay. Okay. Bye. Bye-bye. 
I hope you enjoyed today's episode. I know I enjoyed recording it. Don't forget to check out my new podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Lose Weight. Pretty soon, moms won't have time to listen to podcasts. And check out the Instagram community that goes along with it. And if you would like to join, please request to join. It's for anyone who wants to feel body better in their body tomorrow than they do today. And it's a supportive group of like-minded souls who just need the community to achieve their goals. Moms don't have time to lose weight. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Mm-hmm.